gentlemen for this. I appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Clint, William Clint Grimes. Uh, I used to be on staff here, and uh, honestly, I got, I got jealous of you guys, to be honest. And uh, so many of you, you're on the front lines. Um, every single day, you get to go, uh, you know, kick hell in the teeth you know, for a living. And so I just, I kind of got jealous of that. And, and I felt like God was really calling me out of the church bubble. And so my wife and I, as many of you know, uh, we left basically all 2018. We went to London to serve at a church, but it was also a cafe community center. Um, and since coming back have really, um, really just kind of jumped into a full-time job. And, and, and I hope you feel this because this is kind of what God has been stirring in me, that we get the privilege of being urban missionaries, that, that we, get, we really get the privilege of being like knights of the round table of God. We are like Christian ninjas. And everywhere we go, every place that we step our foot, we have the authority of revival. How many of you have been revived by, by the Holy Spirit? How many of you were dead and now you're alive? How many of you were blind, now you see, amen? And so that spirit is in you and everywhere you go, God has given you that authority. When you walk in, in the name of Jesus, it belongs to you. It belongs to the kingdom. It belongs to the king. And so every conversation you have, every person you encounter, it doesn't matter how dark, how broken, light always wins. God always wins. And so when you step in, it doesn't matter. Honestly, we've had conversations and there are things, uh, you know, situations at work, environments at work that just beat you down, that wear you down. But God is greater, amen? And you can step in and you can be a catalyst. You can be an agent of change. And so I just, I just pray that over you, you would, you would sense that God has given you that authority. I really believe that dead things coming to life should be common where we walk. Dead things come, there, there's a story in the Old Testament of like a prophet like blowing his nose on a tissue, throwing it out, it hitting a dead person and him coming to life. Sometimes I just want to try it. I'm just like throwing it on stuff just to see. But I, it's, that, it's that kind of thing where you see all throughout God, this is the thing, what God desperately wants and what the world desperately needs is in us. And so if we, if we claim that we care, if we claim that we, have, that we have the answer, we need to let it out. Tap your neighbor and say, let it out. Let it out. That is, that is God's call to us. We have the answer. We have the answer. And so that is, that is my mission that is my ministry, and I pray that you feel that, that you sense that, that uh, this, this may be a sacred space, and I feel honored, honestly, to get the privilege to do this. But revival will not happen in a building. Revival is going to happen where you take it. Amen? If you're with me, say amen. I like y'all. I like y'all this morning. We're going to look at an Old Testament story, one that many of you probably know. It's going to be found in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, if you want to uh, flip there or scroll there or whatever it is that you do. I want to set the scene for you for a second. The Israelite people, the chosen people of God, they, uh, they found themselves in Egypt and over, over time, uh, basically kind of got taken over and Pharaoh and, and the people there, they kind of got, they got nervous because the Israelites were blessed by God and they began to grow and expand. And so pretty soon they said, Hey, we need to do something. We need to squash this. And they began to enslave the Israelites. And for 400 years, the Israelite people became in bondage. They became slaved in Egypt. And so they cried out to God and our God he always hears his kids when they cry. And so he, he sends a savior. He sends a deliverer and his name is making sure y'all are awake. His name is Moses, right? And a lot of you know the story, right? He's, uh, he comes upon this burning bush, 
right? And, and it's not consumed, and God speaks from the burning bush, and he says, hey, I've heard my people. I'm sending you. You're going to go rescue them. And, 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 and so Moses goes, shows up before Pharaoh. God goes with him, right? He brings them out of bondage. God does amazing exploits, signs, and wonders, right? And he says, I want you to get them, and once you bring them out, I'm, you're going to take them to a promised land. There is a land, there is a special place that's just for them. They will be my people. I will be their God. This is my promise. And so as you know, the story, right, Moses gets them all together, and not only do they get, get to escape, right, they actually, like, they actually walk out of Egypt parade style, just like just walking through, Moses sticks it out, the, 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 the Red Sea opens, and on dry land they walk out into the wilderness, and, and by the time you get here to Numbers 13, all the Israelite people, they literally stand at the entrance to the promised land, right? They've seen God do crazy things. He has rescued them. He has, saved, he has saved them. And now they stand at the entrance of the promised land, right? But isn't it interesting, kind of by, you see this a lot in scripture, but I think even in our own lives, like the nature of the, of the promise, the nature of promises is that it's never as automatic as you want it to be, right? The nature of a promise is it's never as easy as you think. Like even the fact that you're making someone promise is like, I'm really not quite sure that this is a done deal, right? Um, it, it, it's an interesting fact, you know, imagine with me, you know, my, my beautiful wife, she has to go run errands or go do something and she's running out. And I say, I say, look, babe, I'm just going to sit on the couch, probably watch some Fresh Prince, and just eat cake. That's what I'm going to do, right? That's, that's how I feel. Never, ever has she yelled back, and she goes, you promise? Right? Like, promise me there's no cake when I get back. Like, that never, that never happens. Why? Because that, that, that's pretty easy. That, that sounds about like me. That sounds about like where I live, right? But, gentlemen, attest with me. If she says, all right, dear, I'm, I'm, i got to go run some errands. But we have guests coming. And so when I leave, I need you to pick up the house. I need you to do some laundry. Dinner needs to be made so that way when the guests come, we're ready to go. She's going to have, like, my hand on the Bible saying promises, right? Like, swearing, like, yes, I swear, I love, yes, it'll be done, right? Because there's this, there's this rub, right? There's this friction. There's, there's this ironic nature about promises that, that kind of comes with a little bit of trouble, a little bit of problem. Right? And so today, our talk, as we, as we look at the Israelites who stand on the edge of a promised land, a land that is, that is for them, we're going to talk about, uh, the title of this talk is, The Problem with the Promise. Say it with me. The Problem with the Promise. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Canaan is the promised land. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to you, the Israelites. Send one from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. I want you to notice this, that, that the very first thing, the beginning to accessing the promise, right? The beginning to accessing what God has in store for you, what God has declared for you, what the word of God declares to be true, begins with a send. It begins with a sin. Now, when you look up this word, the beauty of it is it literally means to extend or to stretch or to go out from. How many of y'all do stretches? I will never do stretches. How many of y'all do stretches? The reason none of you raise your hand is why? 
It's uncomfortable, right? It hurts. It's, it is not what you want. It's not what your body wants to do, right? It's extending pat. You're like, uh-uh, right? Like my body is not meant to, to do that, right? And, and, and the first problem with the promise, I'm calling it this. I'm calling it the problem of the pool, right? The problem of the pool, that there is this, there is this pool when it comes to going into God's promise and extending a, 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 a stretching that has to happen if you want to go into the promise of God, right? God's promises will always stretch you. That means God's promises will only come through uncomfortability, right? It is, it is designed to take us somewhere new, and oftentimes new is scary, right? It is an invitation to saying, hey, come with me, but I need to extend you past what you've known. I need to extend you past your, your perceived limitations, right? It is this pool of the promise, right? I think of, I think of uh, Peter when he's on the boat, right? And Jesus is out just like on the water, like, hey, and they're like, what is that? And he says, Peter, come on out, baby, walk on the water. It's fine. Everybody's doing it. Right? And there's this pool, right? There's this invitation. There's this, there's this, come on. There, there's this, I, I'm Jesus. I'm pro, come on, walk on the water, right? And there's this invitation to the promise. And, and, and so Peter, you know, like he has that moment where you kind of look. And I don't, I, can you imagine what that would have looked like? like? I don't know how you, the problem is I don't know how you test it. Like, I don't know if he like, like threw like a, you know, a hammer out and just like see if it stood or whatever. But like at some point he had to like leave the dock and, 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 and put his faith and trust and step on the water, right? It is this pool of the promise. God's promise will, 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 will never be for safer. A lot of times our prayers are, God, I need safer. I need more familiar. God, make it a little bit more comfortable. And God's promises is never for that. You wonder why your prayers ain't answered. You're praying in the wrong direction, right? He's saying it's for new. It's for greater. I need to send out. I need to pull you forth. Right? We all want to walk on water. We want that walk on water faith, right? We want that, we want that big, bold, step out faith. But we, but we don't want the pool. We don't want the pool. It's interesting, though, I like this, that it is a pool and it's not a push. Right? Fortunately for us, but also sometimes to our limitation, it's not a, this is Sparta right? It is not a forced out. And so many of us stand at the edge of our promise all of our life. We stand in the wilderness and we're walking around like, baby, tomorrow's, tomorrow's the day we're going to get in that promise. We're going to get in that promise tomorrow, right? But we, we're waiting for God to do like the, the, the mama bird. No. The, the pool is an invitation. It is, it is not a forced out. It is an invitation in to it's, it's, hey, come and see, right? That's what Jesus said to the disciples. Hey, come and see. Hey, drop your nets. Drop your security. Come, follow me. It's, it's the pool. Come and see. I need you to hear this, that God's word is established. God's word is true. Every promise he has in here is yes and amen in Jesus. It is yours. But the, the, the truth is, it is your cho- choice to access it. It is your choice to access it. If you think about it, the whole reason we're in here, the whole reason you came to Jesus in the first place was the pool, right? It was that you were dead and you're like, I can't, I can't do this. God, save me. God, I need to lay down my life. God, I need to trust you. I need you to pull me up out of this. And it is the invitation to share his life, to share his grace, to say, I'm forsaking all that was me. I tried it my way. I tried the best I knew how. But he pulls us and he invites us and he says, lay down your life. I got something better. Lay down your old, 
lay down your, your past and follow me into a new life. But this is the thing, man. There's a, there's a wrong narrative that, that Christianity is for the faint of heart. That Christianity is boring. But this is the truth. Christianity, true Christian. When you read through the Bible, never you're like, man, that's, bo- that's, that's just a boring life. Never. It's guts. It's risk. It's every single day. I'm not sure what's going to happen, right? And the truth is, there's been some weird morphing, some secularization, some westernization of, of, of what we call Christianity, where it's boring, it's easy, we fall asleep, and we can do it with our eyes closed. And the problem is, when I hold that up to Scripture, I'm like, are we even really doing this thing? Man, so many people feel, and I've been there, trust me, I've, I, I, I've been there, and I still struggle with this, but, but we, we deal with a stuckness, right? A boredom in our Christianity. And so I want to help you real quick. This is very simple. If you want to get unstuck today, I have one solution for you. Ready? If you want to get unstuck today, when you leave, go do something that scares you. It's that simple. Go do something that scares you, that terrifies you, and you, your, your, your stuckness is gone. Right? That is the thing. Go, go out today, and when your waitress walks up, say, hey, can I pray with you? Maybe just grab her hand and start praying. Right? Go to the hospital. Go, go lay your hand on the sick. Right? Go to a neighbor and tell them how much you love. Go get your butterflies back. You remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? Right? I remember like dating Lauren, and there's these moments where it's like, hey, and like you're trying to get, and there's butterflies, and you're nervous, and you're anxious, because this could go either way. Right? This, this, this could be good or bad. Right? I'm not really sure what's going to happen. There's these butterflies. Man, we Christians need to get our butterflies back. Right? We need to be out there, and we're not sure, God, I'm, I'm stepping off the boat, and you better be there, or this is going to look foolish. This is going to be silly. Right? We, we, we need to have that kind of thing, because I really believe board is illegal in the kingdom of God. Board is illegal in the kingdom of God. Jesus wept. He got sad. He got angry and flipped tables. And they never say Jesus was bored. That ain't never happened that Jesus played it safe. Right? The Holy Spirit, he is called oftentimes the comforter. We love that, right? Because we all we all been there. We've been sad. We mourn. We need comfort. But this is this is what I believe. I think we limit that to sad times. I think we limit that to funerals. But the truth is, so many times I think we miss the comfort of Jesus because we refuse to get uncomfortable. He is there for our uncomfort. That when we are out, when we are weighing over our heads, when we're having this conversation, it's like, Lord, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Like I'm just. But He is there to comfort and to counsel. But if we never risk. We don't get it. Risk is required to access God's best for you. Hear that? Risk is required if you want to access God's best for you. The pool of the promise. Second one, second problem that we come across, and I'll be honest, this is probably a whole sermon, so uh, I apologize to Danny, because I told him, I I have about a series worth of information that I'm going to try to get into one, so hang hang on with me. This one, I'm going to try to, like, we're just doing a drive-by of this one, and I think it really could be its own sermon, but I didn't want to not say it. But if you look back in verses 1 and 2, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore, send, stretch, extend, go to new territory to scout out this land, which, say it with me, I am giving, I hope it says it that way. It does, look at that. I am giving to you. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? I am giving. I am giving, right? The second problem that we come across 
is that oftentimes the promises come with a process. It's the problem of the process, right? So many of us, this is what we want. We want the promise to be transactional, right? I, I want the promise to be like, like buying a candy bar, like buying a car, right? You just, you just walk up and like, oh, you signed on the line. Good job. Here are the keys. Like away you go. And I'm like too blessed to be stressed. I'm out. Like we're good. God, you, thank you for the promise. I'll call you when I need another promise. And kind of that's our idea of what a promise is. But no, no, no. It, it, it's, it's not that way. A promise is really like, like, like starting a marriage, right? It's that time where, where I'm like, you know what? I'm not ready. God, I'm not ready. God, I'm not ready. Okay, God, I, you know, we, I feel like I'm ready. So then I go and I, I muster up the courage and I get a little ring and I have this promise in my head and I know where it's going. I know what it's going to entail. But the, but the promise starts with a proposal, right? That's how it starts. That's how she knows. I'm saying, babe, I promise, stick with me. You're going to be wearing diamonds, right? Stick with me. We're going to be married, right? I promise this to you. And then with that start begins the preparation. It begins the process of planning. It's that we're going somewhere. Baby, I'm promising. I am giving you my heart. It's not just here. I love you today. I'm giving you my heart and we're planning. And there's this beautiful expectation. And there's this, there's this beautiful anticipation of this wonderful day that so much goes into it. And it's crazy and it's amazing. But look, even when the ceremony comes and we stand up there and it's the culmination of my proposal promise, how many know it's not done then? If we just like kiss the bride, boom, and it's out. No, no, no. It, it, it is continual. It is day in, day out. I am giving myself to you. It is to be lived in for better or worse, richer or poorer, right? You ain't getting rid of me. Where else can I go? I am yours. You are mine. It is the process of the promise. But we don't want that. God, I need it now. God, I'm praying right now. God, you see this situation now. God, if you were a good God and God, if you were really able, God, your promise, I, I need it. It has to happen right now. God, you see this job situation. You see, you see this career. You see this spouse. God, you see this child. You see this marriage. God, don't you see it? It has to happen now or this ain't real. It has to happen now or you don't keep your word. Right, and we have all these things, we have, we have all these schemes and lies and deceits that the devil tries to play because he wants us to think that the process is one and done. But the process is, is, is relational, right? The process is something that you grow in, just like a relationship, just like a marriage. It is not something you arrive at, okay? If you were hoping, oh, hey, today we're talking about promises, but we're talking about the problem with the promise. It is not something, it is not turnkey and you arrive and it is done. People love to preach that kind of Christianity. People love to preach that kind of thing. It's just, hey, man, get, let's, get, hey, let's all get down here. Let's just pray a prayer. Then why would we come back? Let's just do it today, get it done with, and go about our business. But that's not it. That's not what God has called us to, right? It's so much, it's so much less about getting something, and it's actually about becoming something. It's not about what you're getting. It's the fact that you're walking hand in hand with the promise maker. And you're beginning to trust and treasure him as the promise keeper. And you say, God, because I know you, because I'm with you, because where else can I go for richer or poor? Even if I don't see it, I know who you are, and I know that it's coming, and I know that you do not lie, and I know, I know your character, and so I'm with you regardless of how I feel and regardless of what I see. I just want to, I want to encourage you, if you are in the waiting, which right now I'm in the waiting, 
I know so many of you are in the waiting. You are, you are anticipating, you're hoping, you're, you're crying out to God. If you're in the waiting, my prayer is that allow God to shape you. Allow God to use it so that when the promise comes, you are ready. Amen? I mean, let's keep reading. So Moses sends them out. They go into the promised land. They get 40 days. They get 40 days to scout it out. We're going to start in verse 17. So Moses sent them to explore the land of Canaan, and he said, this is what I want you to do. Go up through the Negev, that's like the southern part. Go up through the Negev and then into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak. Are they few or many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? How are the towns? Are they walled? Or are they, are they fortified? Are they unwalled, sorry? Are they fortified? Check out the soil. Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees or not? And do your best, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. This is what I want to focus on for the rest of our time. This is where I feel like God kind of wants us to land here. But the big problem, I believe, with the promise is this. There's a problem of perception. There's a problem of perception, how we perceive, how we see it, right? Moses says this, look, this is the promised land. This is ours. God brought us here. He is giving it to us. He said it. It is done. But this is what I need you to do. I need you to go out. I want you to see. I want you to see. Uh, is, it, is it good? Is it bad? Is it strong? What are we working with? Let's take inventory. Let's see what this promise of God is. I want to ask you, what is your perception? What is your perception? How do you see your life stacking up, right? Because this is the truth. How you see will often expose what you truly believe, right? Right here, what we're about to see is that there are 12 spies who go in and two of them see something completely different. 12 spies go in, they have 40 days. We're gonna pick up in verse 26 if you're following along. Verse 26, this is what it says. They came back to Moses and Aaron and to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. If you don't know, it took two dudes to carry one cluster of grapes. Okay, so just picture that in your mind, that this, this promised land is the real deal. It is, it is amazing. It is beautiful. It is bountiful, right? And so two guys have to carry one cluster of grapes. And they say this account to Moses. We went into the land which you showed us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It is full of blessing. It is full of life. Look, here's its fruit. But... Some of y'all just need to wipe that word from your vocabulary. Some of you, it's, you read your Bible, and you close it, and you say, but, and you move on. And the but is going to get you killed. But the people who live there, right, look at this land, it's amazing. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. In fact, we saw the descendants of Anak living there, which were, which were giants, now, the Amalekites, they live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They're up in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. What you have to hear, basically, is this, that the promise is completely surrounded. In other words, if they thought they could slide through the back door, if they could sneak into the promise, if they could kind of just stroll into the promise at night, no, this promise is surrounded. But then Caleb silenced the people. He said, we should go up, and we should take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, no, we can't attack those people. Listen to this. For they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored, it devours those who are living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim, who are the descendants of Anak. Again, these are giants. They, we seemed like grasshoppers 
in our own eyes and we look the same to them. I had to ask myself after reading this, I was like, man, God, why, why did you have them see the, prom- the problem so close? You gave them the promise. You said, this is, this is your land, right? You said, I'm, I'm sending you out. I am giving you the land. This, this is yours. And, and yet, instead of like marching them in, undisputed heavyweight champions in the world, y'all watch out, I'm God, these are my people, this is their promised land, get out, right? Instead of that, no, no, no. instead, he, he, he allows them the opportunity to see all of the obstacles. Why? Think about that. Why would God allow them basically 40 days to uncover all the, all the impossibilities, all the reasons why this promise should not be theirs? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that torture? Isn't that weird? Right? And I honestly, I struggle with this. I'm like, God, okay, I don't, why? Why was it important that you sent them to scowl out and be afraid and give them the opportunity to be terrified? And I, I, and, and I, really, I really feel it's because God knows the tension. Hear this. God knows the tension of how hard it is in this life to walk by faith when we are dominated by our senses. God knows how hard it is for us to be people of faith, to walk by faith when we are dominated by what I see and how I feel, and we're so sensual with it, right? And, and, and I believe God really showed me this, that it is, it is not necessarily what you are looking at, but it's how you see it, right? You ever seen two people? See, we, we talk about the glass half full, glass half empty, right? But you know these people. Two people can look at the exact same thing. It's not what they're looking at, the entire difference is in how they see it. It's how they perceive it, right? And what I want to tell you this is that, that the biggest difference between those who access the promise of God, those who walk in the promise of God, those who when you, you meet and you're like, man, they have an anointing on their life. They're not special. Man, this guy carries weight when he speaks. You ever had those people, man, it feels like God is always answering their prayers. Man, it seems like they just walk in an authority. And, and, and man, look how blessed they are. It's like the hand of God is on their life. That is not unique and for some person. That is for every single person. But the people who access it, the difference between those who access it and those who don't come down to their perception. It's how they see it. It's when they get to the promise and when they look out at it, there's the same giants, there's the same land, there's the same enemy, but they see it completely different. I was actually walking around uh, praying this morning before, before service, and I, and I thought this was pretty cool because God just kind of laid it on me. So uh, I'm throwing this here in the middle of sermon. I don't know where it goes. But uh, I thought this was pretty cool. You remember how God uh, created the world? How would he do? How do you, what do you do it? Kai, how do you do it? He spoke, right? He spoke. Hear this. When God speaks, he creates. So in other words, when God speaks a promise... When it is spoken, it is done. It is created. It is there. In other words, when God speaks a promise, it is on the way. It is done. And so, look, we're not even, like, waiting for God to generate a promise. It's not like God says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I declare over your family. This is, the, this is the, the truth of who you are. This is your identity. This is the blessing. This is, what I, this is what I have prepared for those who love me. And we're not waiting for God someday to be like, okay, uh, and, like, and, like, and, like, Kawazuki to it, right? Like that's not what is happening. When he speaks it, it is done. And this is the deal. Our job is to walk in obedience, walk in obedience to God until we walk into the promise. 
Think about it. This is how God sees it. The promise is already there. He has spoken it. He has created it. It is in existence. Our job is to not miss it by saying, oh, man, well, there's giants around that thing. And, and look at the land. And it's, it's surrounding our job is to walk in obedience. Say, no, God has spoken it. It is created. It exists. It is there. It is for me. And I will walk in obedience until, I, until it's on me. Does that make sense? Do you hear that? I hope that, I hope that registers to someone. So 10 spies, this is what they do. They go into the land, just a quick recap, and they say, okay, the land is surrounded. It's, it's, there's, there's no way of getting in. There's giants, and they use this language. They're stronger than us. They're bigger than us. It's fortified. It's impenetrable, right? The land devours people. We are like, think about this. So many of you feel this way. How can a child of God, a prince of heaven, a saved, redeemed, and whole person say, man, I'm like grasshopper? And that's, the devil has that playing and so we, we look in the mirror I'm, man, I'm just a grasshopper and they, you know what when I look out here they see me as a grasshopper too I'm just insignificant they feel it we all feel it we all know it I got nothing to offer they're bigger they're stronger they're better right and, the, and, the, and, 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 and the devil is just warped and manipulated because we see it we don't see the way that God says it we don't see the way that God promises and I have no doubt that so many in this room, right, you are clinging to a promise. You are, you are praying for freedom from a, an addiction. You are praying that your spouse comes home. You're praying that your, your, your child returns to the Lord, right? You're praying, God, you see our financial situation. God, you know that we need this. God, answer our prayers. God, because they're bigger, and they're badder, and they're better, and they, they're, it's devouring me. It's eating me up inside. God, I cannot win. And while I do not want to make light of your pain and your struggle, because God knows I've been there. God knows I've, we've all felt like we're drowning. But what I need you to do is I need you to see how the other two, there were 10 who came back with that report. But there were two more who went into the same land, who saw the same, who, who, who looked at the same thing and saw something completely different. If you flip over to Numbers 14, just one chapter, flip, flip one page probably, starting at verse 6, it says this, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of that word, uh, who were among those who explored. So they were among, the, I want you to catch it, they were among the people who explored the land. But they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explore, explored, it's exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he's going to take us into the land, the land that's flowing with milk and honey, and he's going to give it to us. Look, just don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of that land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, and the Lord is with us, so do not be afraid of them. It's like, were they looking at the same thing? Did, were they, did they have their back turned the whole time? They were, they were told, these, these must have been the two holding the grapes, right? And they were just eating. They were drunk. That's probably what happened. They walk around with the grapes, just, you know, and they got back a little tipsy, like, man, that, that was a great trip. What, how'd y'all guys? But no, no, no. That, was, that wasn't in the notes, but that felt good. That felt good. Uh, there's this thing that scripture talks all throughout and it, it makes it very clear that there is such thing as human wisdom, worldly wisdom. And the, the scariest thing is it has entered, it has infiltrated the church where we think and we see and we perceive just like the world. So when a problem comes, I do the same thing the world does, Right? When, when, when something attacks, when there's pressure, when I see something out there, I, I, I act in anxiety and fear and backbiting and bitterness and worry, just like the world does. 
right? And, and, and there's a, there is a way that seems right to a man, and we justify it, and oh God, and blah, 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 and we have all these things, and we have this argue and this thing, but, but I want to tell you that, that God says there is a way that seems right to a man. It will seem right. You will justify it. It will make all the sense in the world, but it leads to death. It leads to destruction. We cannot do this thing that you're doing right now by the senses. Your feelings will destroy you. What you see will destroy you. At best, it will leave you right on the edge of the promised land, never to enter in. We walk by faith and not by sight. They saw the same thing, but two of them saw something completely different. This is what they said. It's a great land. I like this. This is for somebody today. It says, God is pleased to give it to us. Some of you need to hear this today, that God, Scripture says, God gave you his son, how much more will he not give you everything else that he is pleased to give you the kingdom of God? God is not up there waiting for you to perform some act so that he can hand it off. It is, he is pleased. He is ready. He is poised to give it to you if we can see it, if we can stand in it, if we can, if we can be obedient. I love this. It says, don't be afraid. We will devour them. Now, if you translate this directly, if some of you have like a New King James Bible or, or, or maybe like kind of an old school Bible or whatever, the direct translation for this is, is beautiful. It's a, it is, they will be our bread. Ooh, like as a, as a dude, I like that. It's like, no, 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 no. Hey, no, God is with us. God is pleased to give us this land. They are going to be our bread. I'm going to munch on some Canaanites, right? Like, that's the idea. It's like, no, 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 there's nothing standing in our way, right? Their protection is gone. God is with us. I need you to hear this, that the people of promise have a different perspective. The people of promise, we don't see the same way. We are a little weird. We are a little countercultural. Because when we look out and we say, hey, man, there's an army surrounding us. Elijah, what are we going to do? There's an army surrounding us. But, but the people of God look out and say, oh, bro, you need to look again. Right? Oh, you need to look again. Right? And then the servant comes back out and looks again. And he, his eyes are opened to the spiritual reality. And surrounding the army is God's angels surrounding the army. That is what we have to see. That is what we have to walk in and depend in. Amen? Amen? Because listen, how you see determines where you will go. What you see is going to determine where God can take you. If you want to walk on the water to Jesus, you have to have that single eye, that single focus, that I can't look at the winds and the waves and get to Jesus. You can't get to Jesus and look at the winds and the waves. You have to step out, and every single step, I'm giving it to you. I'm accepting this promise. I'm receiving this promise until you're in his arms. This is daily, day-by-day, day, discipling, discipleship, following Jesus. A lot of you know how the story plays out, right? Because of how they responded, because of the way that they responded, because of how they perceived the situation, it says that none, none of the Israelites were actually able to go into the land. Do you hear that? They got all the way to God. They saw God part the Red Sea. They saw God get them through. God gave them manna from heaven. God was a, a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night leading them to the edge of the promised land, but none of them, because of the way that they responded, because of how they perceived it, none of them were able to enter the promised land, and they had to stay out. They had to stay outside for 40 more years until that entire generation died off. This is, this is, this is itchy. This is scratchy, because hold on. Wait, wait, God, you made a promise. I'm going to take the people in, and yet this entire generation didn't make it in. What are you going to do with that? I once heard it said this way. 
that God is required to keep his promise. God is required, let me say it again, God is required to fulfill his promise, but he's not required to fulfill your potential. God is required to fulfill his promise, but he is not required to fulfill your potential. And what that means, your potential is the promised land. When he spoke it, it is there, it is waiting for you, it is yours in the name of Jesus. But just because that's your potential does not mean you will enter it. Does not mean you will enter it. I love the way that he said it in uh, Numbers 14, verse 24, a little bit later down. This is God speaking about Caleb. He said, no, he said, okay, you know what? The rest of these guys, they can't go. They can't go. But, but, but my servant Caleb, Caleb and Joshua were the only two of those 12 and their descendants to make it in. And he said, but my, my, my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, because he's not like, he doesn't see it like everybody else sees it. Because he has a different spirit and he's followed me fully, I will bring him into the land and his descendants will take possession of it. You got to hear this, that, 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 um, that your family, your generation, the people coming after you, they may or may not get to experience the promise based on your own obedience. There's a whole generation. Like little Billy didn't, didn't know that daddy was, was scared. Little Billy was still at the camp playing. You, you hear that? But it was the leader it was the leader, it was, it was the leader who went in who forfeited it. It was the leader who went in and saw something different, and it's, hey, you know what, you and your generations and your kids and your kids' kids get to go in and access the promise. So I want to ask you this as we're almost done. Hang with me, we're almost there. How do you see? How do you see? If, if you were a scout that day, right, if you were a scout that day, be honest, let's just be honest, let's take inventory. What, what are you going to see that day? As you scout your life, as you walk through the day, as you, as you know, you read, you examine the promises of God. But what, what do you see? What consumes your vision? I want, I'll tell you, I want to be the one that has a different spirit, right? I want to be the one that God looks down and says, you know what, I see, I see, I see all this, but that guy, that girl... She's got a different spirit about her, man. She sees differently, right? She knows that if I say it, it is done, and the gates of hell cannot prevail, right? That, 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 that my job in this life is to live up to what I've already attained. That what God has spoken is, has been attained, and my job is just to live into that, right? That I won't sell short. I won't shrink back. I will not forfeit regardless of how I feel. God is faithful. And listen to this. If he pulled you out of Egypt... Remember we started, I was like, how many people have been revived? Ah. If he pulled you out of Egypt, he can get you to the promised land. If he, if he pulled you out of Egypt, he can heal you. If he forgave you, he can, he, he can allow you to forgive others. If, if, he, if he has come and put his spirit in you, there is nothing that is impossible for our God. Amen? I'm going to ask the band to come. I'm going to ask the band to come. Hang with me. We're almost there. If you remember uh, back in the garden, if you remember back in the garden, Adam and Eve used to walk with God, right? Nothing separated them. It was, it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was intimacy. It was hand in hand. It was a single eye of faith. 
There was no, there was no other distraction, nothing else to look to. They were not double-minded, wavering, and unstable in all they did. There was a single eye. They were locked in. They were laser-focused. It was intimate. It was beautiful. Every promise, yes and amen in God. Everything that God declared would be true, and they had authority. And God called it, hey, subdue and rule the earth. And everything is going to be blessed by you and your descendants. And it's this beautiful promise. And, and it is everything that God still intends for us. But if you remember, there comes this very critical moment where they're walking by and there's a voice. I like how, I like how Caleb, it says that one, all Israelites yelling and screaming, and it says that Caleb silenced the crowd. Some of y'all, your first step when you get out here is to identify the crowd and silence them. Could you imagine if Eve was walking and heard the serpent's voice and just say, hey, be quiet. Right? But no, she entertained the voice. She didn't silence it. And all of a sudden, that voice started putting in other ideas. If you go there, Genesis 3, really quickly, you don't have to go there, it'll be on the screen for you. But the, the serpent started whispering and said, hey, you, you certainly won't die. You know, that tree that God said don't, don't eat, don't worry about, you certainly won't die. For God, no, look at this. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened. You know the thing that God, God did not want our eyes to be open. God wanted our eyes to be zoned in, single eye, focused on him and what he said. And there are no other options. There are no other but, yeah. No. Hey, your eyes will be open and you'll be like, I love this. You'll be like God knowing good from bad. You remember when Moses said, hey, go out, in the, go out in to the promised land. See if it's good or bad, right? There are these options all the time. Should I trust God? Should I not? Am I strong enough? Am I qualified? Will God really be there? There's all these options. And he's saying, look, if you take a bite of this, your eyes will be open. You'll get to see all the options. You'll get to weigh in. You'll be wise as God. And so when she saw the fruit, she saw, oh, you know what? That's pleasing to the eye. I like that. That looks good. She took it and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband and he ate it. And as soon as they ate it, the very thing that God had, God had fought so hard to protect, that single eye of faith, that single eye of trust, of relationship, it says as soon as they ate it, their eyes were opened. And they re it, wasn't a, it wasn't a good opened. Their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. And they were ashamed. And there was fear. And there was worry. And there was all these things. There were all these things that plagued them, that allowed them. Immediately, they sewed figs lead together, made covering for themselves. And you remember what they did? They ran and they hid. They were removed. God had to say, look, this promise, everything that is here for you, everything that I've supplied, everything I want for you to walk in, you cannot stand in it and have your eyes open. You cannot stand in it like that and, and, and have the knowledge of the good and evil and have all these things. That way. You need a single eye of relationship. There can't be other options if you're going to live in here. And so he has to take them and he has to remove them from the promise. And what I need you to hear today is this. God is trying to get us back. He is trying to get us back to that one eye, that simple hand-in-hand, -hand, childlike faith that says, if you say it, it is done. If you declare it, it is mine. Right? I need tunnel vision. It is the only thing I see. He is my shepherd and I lack nothing. I will walk in it. This is our truth. You need to go home, find you some promises, and stand on the promises of God. Last thing, then we're going to sing. I'm going to ask everybody to stand.
Scripture defines faith. Basically, what we're talking about today, I hope you see, is faith. And faith is risk. Faith is risk. And this is faith. Do we have faith to trust in God? Not just faith that God can save us and get us to heaven. Let me tell you. Faith that God will save you and get you to heaven, and that's it, is going to lead to a miserable existence here on this earth. But the good news is that's not all that God has for you. That's not the promise of God. The promise of God is not just heaven one day. The promise of God is his kingdom here, his will be done here in you, just as it is in heaven. And so when scripture defines faith, it says this. It says it is the confident assurance and expectation that it will happen. I love this. Faith, it is the confident assurance. It is an assurance and a certainty that if God said it, it's done. So this is my challenge to you. What would it look like if you could see no other way? If you could see no other option? What would it look like if everyone saw giants like David and you said, oh, no, 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 right? There's been the lion. There's been the bear. God is with me. God is faithful. God will not fail, right? What if your eye was so single that literally God not keeping his promise never crossed your mind? Think about that. That is the challenge of faith, that we have a, that we have a confident assurance. Hear this. What if our eye was so single that God not coming through was never on the table? That's what God died for. That's what he has declared. That is the promise. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and we're not gonna, we're not gonna hang out here long, but I always say this, there's a difference between when I talk and yell and run around and jump, there's a difference between that and when the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your soul and you feel it, and you sense it inside. And God may be saying, hey, let's do an eye exam today. Let's do an eye exam. Let's, let's see, how are you really looking? What are you, what are you really doing with this? What do you really believe? Because how you see is gonna expose what you really believe. And so today, maybe God is saying, look, you know, you come in here and, and we sing, but man, you live a boring Christianity. You got zero risk in your walk with me right now. And I'm calling you into some risk. I'm calling you into some faith. I'm calling you into something. Or, or maybe some of you, you long for it. You're like, God, I want the risk, but man, the giants look too big. And God said, okay, can I get you to see different? Can I get you to see a little bit different? Can I change your perspective? Can I change your lens? So I'm just gonna ask you right now, as we sing this last song, uh, you can be in your chair, you can come up here, do whatever God leads you to do, but do not escape this opportunity without dealing with God. Because accessing the promise is based on this moment right now. Accessing the promise of God, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, is right now. Let's sing together. can stop the Lord Almighty. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for 
the sin of the world His blood breaks the chains And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb Oh, every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb Father, God, you're so amazing. God, I feel like I should live my life making promises to you. And actually, I, I feel like so much of my life is me making promises to you, some that, most of them that just fall away. But God, I thank you that the gospel is not about my promise to you. It is God's promise to me. It is your gift that I just receive, that I just abide in, that I just dwell in. It is your power that I just dwell in. It is your life that I just dwell in, that has been spoken, that exists, and that is just for me to receive. And so, Father, I pray today over every single family, over every single person in this room, God, that you would just open our eyes, unify it, block out everything else, God, that all we could see, all we could hear is you. And Father, that we would just lean into that and trust that, God, and that it would inform every single thing, every single situation. And God, that we would be a people, we would be a church that walks in the promise of God. And that our city, our families, our state, our nation would be transformed because there's a, there's a little city on a hill there's hands and feet that are walking around doing the will of Jesus. And so, Father, we just thank you. We love you. Be with us as we go. You're amazing. Keep us safe over this holiday weekend as we spend time with family. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' holy, mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace this week.